Lisa and I were very blessed to be able to celebrate our 10th anniversary, which really was our 12th anniversary because we had to postpone that trip two years. <laughs> but it was a great time, and we went to the Florida Keys, which was really cool, and it was, it was wonderful. I'll tell you all about it uh, sometime over coffee. But it was a blessing. Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to 1 John? 1 John. Go to Revelation, and then come back just a little bit, and you will hit 1 John at the end of your Bible. We have several families. Hi, Don. Good to see you. Hi, guys. Glenn. We have several families this morning who are reaching the Lord for a miracle for lots of things, for all the things that the Lord does for us. So we're going to take just a moment and pray. And we're just going to seek the Lord. If you are in a spot where you're saying, Lord, I just, I don't know what to do. I need a miracle. Then know you're not alone. And along with that, too, know this. The Lord is over all things. He is mighty to save. There is nothing he can't do. He is the Lord God who rules on high, and he hears our, pray, our prayers, and he responds to them. How amazing. Amen. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says not now. Sometimes he says yes, but I'm telling you this. We have a king in heaven who actually hears your prayers. And so these prayers are powerful and effective, not because we're powerful and effective, but because he is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are so kind, so merciful, so glorious, so majestic on your throne. Thank you, Lord, that as you, are, as you are ruling over nations, as you are keeping tides moving in the ocean, as you are controlling the winds, Lord, thank you that you also hear our prayers. Lord, thank you that you care about us. So, Father, I pray for all those who are pressing into you now, who need you, who feel like they're at the end. Lord, whether it's for children or for finances or for relationships or whatever it may be, Father. Lord, we look to you, our great healer. We look to you that by your gospel has made peace for us. We look to you who turns the hearts of children to their, to their parents. We look to you, God, who's the one who is the great restorer. And Father, because of your great gospel, because of your son who died and rose again, we pray, Lord, that you would do mighty things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to give just a moment for, does anybody have a testimony that they want to share of the Lord's grace or His deliverance or anything? If you don't, that's okay. Don't be under pressure. I'm just giving an opportunity. Yeah? Please, come on up. Jackie Burke, everybody. Um, I'd be delighted to share. I don't, I don't feel like I get to talk to people as much as I like, but... Um, I just would I just would testify to God's faithfulness. Um, I feel like, um, you know, my own journey in life through all of it. We all know it. We all have all of it, whether it's marriage, kids, finance, you know, all of it. Um, but I feel like for the past five years, it's been really hard. Um, and one thing that has, uh, just to give a testimony of God's faithfulness, is even in the valleys, mm. just um, he he is. He's just there. He's watching over and like, don't give up, don't stop. Um, this was actually right before Greg passed. I had this, vi this picture and I didn't share it that Sunday, um, but I had this picture of this mountain and every time we're talking about stuff, I always see the same picture when I'm here on Sundays. And it's just this picture of this mountain, this journey that we're on. And there's just these valleys, they just dip low and they're just, ugh, they're just hard and they're just not, they're not what we see. And we know better, we know God's plan, but then this doesn't, it's mm -hmm. not that. And mm -hmm. the temptation for me, and for I'm sure all of us, is just, just that, oh, I can't, I can't do it. I can't get back up there, I can't, I just can't. And God has just been faithful in my own life. Um, and I, I, just for those going through some of those dips, um, he actually is carrying you. Mm -hmm. So you're not actually in that spot um, by yourself. So it still sucks, <laughs> if I can say that, <laughs> to be in that spot. Um, but he is carrying he you. Is. You're not alone. Amen. And um, you feel alone, and it, and it feels you, yeah, but he really is carrying you. And then there will come a point where you'll be able to look back and say, oh, that, that was God. Um, I, have, I, I, I openly share, I've been seeing a wonderful Christian counselor for a while, just helping me through all of life, and I love it. I'm an advocate. Um, 
But one of the things she said to me recently was, what, what do you think clicked? Like, what changed? Because I am really finally kind of out of one of those dips and kind of back where I like to be. Um, and I, she's like, what, what is it that changed? And I said, to be honest, it's just kind of everything. I, don't, I can't put a finger on it. But it's just that testimony that you may not know God's rescuing you. And you may not know that he's carrying you, but he is. Mm. And so just cling to the truth. Cling to, the, to that. And That's anybody good. who needs prayer for any dips or hard things, please come see me. I would really love to pray with you. Amen. So, Amen. That's, that's good. That's just my testimony. That's good. Amen. That's great. And here's, here's the testimony. You ready? It's not self-help. It's not that she's just doing better. The Lord carried her. Amen. And the Lord carries us. Yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it funny? Sometimes when we're walking through that valley, feel the staff pulling you. Go this way. And a lot of times we're like, oh, it's, it's the devil. It's the Lord. He directs us. His rod and his staff, they're a comfort to us. Isn't that good? He's the testimony. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. Amazing. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 John. Um, so Lisa and I, we had a wonderful trip in our our trip, we flew into Miami. We got a great deal, praise the Lord, on the flight, and it was a direct flight. You know what's a blessing? Direct flights. Yeah. Also, Casey, great to see you. Everybody say hello to Casey Peterson. He's the pastor at Main Street with, with Doug Hahn, our friend. Good to see you, Casey. I'm immediately under pressure because there's a seminary guy here, but that's fine. It's okay. So I'm just not going to look. If I don't make eye contact with you, that's why. I'm just playing. Okay, so we're flying uh, southwest and direct flight. Is from the Lord. How great is that? So we fly into Miami. Miami's very intense. If you've never been there, we were not prepared for that. Um, and so we drove down to the Florida Keys. And eventually we got to Key West, and it was beautiful, and it was fun, and it was a great anniversary, and praise the Lord. I have a wonderful wife, and I'm very blessed, and so it was great to be with her. And so uh, at one of the days in Key West, we went out on a sailing catamaran, this giant big sailboat, and we got to do a sunset cruise with a lot of other people. So there's people on the boat. I know, it's great, isn't it? And here's the thing, ready? If you've never been to the Keys, which I had never been, um, don't be disappointed when you get there and there's no waves, because there's a giant reef around all the Keys that stop all the waves, so it's like kind of flat like a lake, but it's salt water. So I was very confused for a little bit, but it makes for nice sailing. So we're on the boat, we're going around, and they're serving us little, I don't know, appetizer things, and um, watching the sunset, and it was beautiful. And there was another couple there, and they were celebrating their first anniversary. So everybody clapped for them. And praise the Lord. Good. We need, they need our prayers. So we were sitting, watching the sunset area, and they were behind us, kind of in the middle of the boat as we started the cruise. And they were having, I thought they were breaking up. Like, legitimately, I thought they were, like, I didn't realize it was, a, they, later on, they were like, hey, first anniversary, everybody clap. I thought they were breaking up on the boat. And so um, they were having an argument about the guy abandoning her to go drink more when she wanted to stay and smoke at the bar. And, this, and I thought it was going to end their relationship. Um, it was uncomfortable for everybody, like legitimately. And then everybody clapped, and suddenly they were, everything was fine, and they just eat more hummus appetizers, whatever. It was wild. Here's why I tell you that. I was watching the stark beauty of God's creation in the Florida Keys and literally like watching the sunset and like, wow, Lord, you are so majestic. And the people behind me are about to end their marriage over smoking and drinking rights. It was a weird contrast. It was a weird moment to be in a mo and celebrating our own anniversary and just this sort of worshipful time of like, wow, this is, a, look what God's done. This is amazing. And then see all the effects of sin still in the world. And the effects of sin are broken relationships and broken marriages and broken relationship from God. The Bible, the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses apart from him. We're going to come back to our first love today. We're going to look at the book of 1 John, this letter, this epistle that's written by John, the beloved apostle, the one who reclined against Jesus 
at the Last Supper. This is the apostle whom Jesus loved. And he's writing this letter, and it really is a letter. It's almost like a mini-sermon that he's kind of throwing out there. Most scholars believe that he wrote this from Ephesus, actually, where he had left and was fleeing from the Roman destruction that was coming upon Jerusalem. So he's writing this from a place that is full of controversy, full of uh, some persecution and difficult things, but also a thriving church. And he's writing this to all the people of God and giving them a little pastoral, fatherly wisdom. He's kind of an older guy at this point. So even referred to as sometimes as John the Elder. And so as an older guy, he eventually will become the oldest of the apostles, uh, the last to die, really, of, of those. And so this is the same John who eventually is going to be on Patmos and exiled, and the book of Revelation will come from him. This is also the one who's written the gospel of John. So think about this guy, John. He's the one who was closest to Jesus, if you will. So Peter, close to Jesus too, right? But Peter's like, let's get to work. You know, John's like, hey, let's just linger a while. Tell me more funny jokes. This is great. I love being with you. I'm going to recline on you. Is that okay? You don't mind? Okay, cool. Like that's, he's really, he's close to Jesus. And so you get this in a human sense because the Lord is fully God and fully man at the same time. And so you get this interesting take now from John who's rested with Jesus. And then just keep that in mind as we're reading this, this stuff. We're going to start here at chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what John says. Chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Praise the Lord for His Word. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay to talk. I told you I wasn't going to do this again, but I'm going to. Sorry. Here's why I want you to talk. We're going to have a discussion about this book of 1 John. I don't want anybody to leave here without walking with Jesus. My goal is not to give you great stories about sunset cruises or army stories or anything else. My goal is that you would be closer to Jesus, that you would know repentance, that you would know his gospel, that you would know his love, that you would worship him in every way, that your life would have meaning because you are serving the God of creation. And that as you walk out those doors, you are actually clinging on closer to Jesus than when you came in. And so I also want you to tell yourself now, you've said it's okay to talk, tell yourself, wake up. You got to wake up your soul sometimes. Wake yourself up inside. If you're still thinking about, did I turn off the stove? I'm going to check the Wi-Fi and just do that. They do that now. Isn't that weird? But if you're, gonna, if you're still thinking about that or that bill you didn't pay or whatever, turn those things off. Wake your soul up. And let's hear the word of God together. And then we're going to be open to talk a little bit. And the reason for that is we need understanding. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in warfare right now. We are in spiritual warfare. We're in cultural warfare. Now, that does not mean we go punch people or hurt them. But I'm telling you, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is life to a dying world. And the dying world loves the darkness more than they love the light. And so for you to proclaim the name of Jesus is not taken with happiness and good things. It's taken with contempt. We're at war. Do not be mistaken. If you are going to open your mouth for the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim his testimony, the testimony of life made manifest, like John says, it's going to be costly. This is a guy who is fleeing for his life, who has ended up in Ephesus. He's, he's never lived outside of Israel as far as we know at least, and now he's in Asia Minor, of all places, writing to the church because Jesus is better than life. He's better than our lives. He's better than the next breath we get to take. He's better. His testimony is better. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is better than our lives. 
And we're coming to a time now where we need to not hold the things of the world so close to ourselves because the world is telling us that your comfort, that you're living your best life is the ideal. And it's not. It's living for him. Yes. We're going to watch a video today, a music video in a minute. I like music videos. Wes, we like music videos. So we're going to watch a music video. Some of you may find it a little bit offensive. Okay, there's one semi-bad word. It's okay for the kids. So it's not like you need to shield your children. But I'm just letting you know we're going to talk about it because we need to be clear about the times we're living in and what's happening. Okay? Everybody good? That just went from Sunset Cruise to, to Miami Intense, but that's okay. That's all right. Okay, what do you notice in this first chunk that we read, verses 1 through 4? John is telling us about a proclamation. He's testifying to Christ, and not just Christ. What is he talking about here at the very beginning? That which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What's he talking about there? Jesus. Yeah, that's Sunday school answers. Right. Yes. He's talking about Jesus. But why is that different than what we would expect? Because it's true. Because John is an eyewitness. He reclined on Jesus. He really touched him. He really was there. And so he now is an authority who's saying, I was here, I saw it, and I am proclaiming to you the word of life. John, how does John 1.1 start? The gospel. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And so John has this understanding. The word of God. He is Jesus. The very testimony of who he is. Embodied. It's him, and I got to touch him. I, was, I heard every word he said. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I was there for all of it. And so this guy, you know, this guy was a zealous son. He was not a lovey-dovey guy. He was growing up in a militant household. And now instead, he's going to, First John, if you know it, it's all about love. God is love, and there's love everywhere. And here's this guy who, before that, was growing up ready to kill some people for God. That was, when, when, Lord, will you now return the kingdom to Israel? We'll kill all those centurions. I'm ready. And instead, the Lord has shifted him, changed him, and he touched with his hands the word become flesh. And it's a good testimony, isn't it? And so he's starting off with this. This is a grandiose thing. And sometimes we can read it, and it goes so fast that we just sort of miss out on the people who are now, remember, they're fled for their lives. And they're rooted back in, oh, yes, we remember what we heard from John. He was there. And now we're there in a way by faith, but we don't get this, what he had. And so we're trusting him that what he said was true. Then we also saw all the powerful things God has done, and he proved himself to us. But we can trust what John said because we know he was there. That's important. He goes on and he starts to talk about proclaiming. And the proclaiming has a product, and that product is fellowship. So he says that there is true fellowship, one with another, and we can see that, that the word made manifest, the Father's with us, and he's proclaiming all these things to you. We look in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is one of those Christian words that sometimes we need to define. So we use that a lot. Amen. We use that a lot. What does amen mean? It's a Greek word that means truly. So Jesus says, amen, amen, I'm going to say this to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. It's amen, amen, right? So amen is one we throw out. Hallelujah. It's an old Hebrew word means praise God. And so we, you know, we use these words. Sometimes we just kind of, hallelujah. I don't know. So in every bulletin everywhere in all the churches across the United States, we're going to have fellowship. What does that mean? What is fellowship? He's defined it here, not defined totally, but he's told us in a context. He's proclaimed the truth so that you may have fellowship with us. What do you think? What is fellowship? What do you think? What's that? Being in Christ, Being in Christ yeah. And joined together, right? And so you have fellowship and uh, you could use the word maybe communion or togetherness or uh, it's more than friendship. So a lot of times we say, come to the youth event. There's going to be fellowship and fun. Meaning, you'll make friends and we're going to bowl. It's going to be awesome. And that's good, right? So that's fun. Fun is good. But fellowship is different, especially in the context of 
fleeing for your life. Fellowship is different because now you have these relationships, you're standing together, and fellowship is not just based on, hey, we all are from St. Louis, or we all look the same, or we all like cardinals, or whatever. Fellowship instead, especially when it's Jews and Gentiles and Asian people and uh, this guy used to serve the goddess Artemis and now he's a Christian and this guy used to be a centurion and killing people and now he's here and how do you deal with all this stuff and that guy used to oppress that guy and that guy used to be a slave in that guy's household but then he let him go and now they're friends and what does that mean and fellowship becomes something different because it's not just hey fun it's the chili cook-off instead it becomes the proclamation of Jesus Christ. He is on the throne. He died. He rose again. And the revelation of Jesus, seated in the heavenlies, becomes now the basis for our unity together. And that based on that revelation, we can stand hand in hand with other Christians around the world, especially in our own body. But then also with all our brothers and sisters and say, we follow Jesus. And that revelation now, that proclamation that John is talking about is the basis for our relationship. Now, that's important because think about St. Louis for a minute. About to have a bunch of Afghan people here coming now. Bosnians, Rwandans, uh, we have Germans, we have Italians, we have all kind of different uh, African ethnicities. We have Asian people, there's a, there's a growing number of Chinese people, but don't confuse them with the Taiwanese people or the Korean people, right? These are, and those are important distinctions. And so now we have all these groups and all these groups coming together. How do you have unity? It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the proclamation of who he is. And based on this eyewitness account from John, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, now we're coming together to serve him. And then John goes on to say in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's a joy in being together. But more than that, and he tells us in 3 John later we'll look at, that his joy is no greater joy than seeing his children, all of us, Christians, walking in the truth. And so he has this expectation, not just of fellowship, unity, togetherness, but an expectation of the proclamation of Jesus, and more than that, that we're going to walk in the truth and remain in it. John's got big expectations here. He's starting off this letter pretty bold, actually. Let's read verse 5 together. He says, This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Why did Jesus come? John thought that he was going to come as the Messiah who would eradicate the, the Romans and establish the throne of David with a new kingdom for Israel. But Jesus came to do something radically different. Why did he come? For what's that? To put an end to sin. Why is sin so bad? It separates us from God. Imagine for a moment. Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, he's God, is looking at his creation that he said was very good. Then in his creation, he has this stench that rises up. Have you ever um, driven past when I take the kids to school there's a, a spot of woods that's a little lake thing, and some animal has died there. And so every time you pass it, it just, you hit this smell. And it kind of lingers in the car for a while. It's gross, right? Skunk is bad. Have you ever noticed, met those people who are like, oh, a skunk. They smell it in. Nobody does that with dead things. It doesn't work that way. Some people like the skunk smell. I don't understand that. But, but the dead smell, that's gross. Or you find something in the fridge that you forgot about for a long time. And, it's, and you're like, I wonder if that's not okay. It's not okay. Like, that's a horrible thing. 
from God's creation the stench of disobedience. The stench of his people that he made to be his image bearers saying, screw you, God. And I say that, I know that's a little smidge rough, but that's the attitude. The attitude of those who are meant to be his vice regents, his governors of the earth, who are going to proclaim his excellencies, those who looked like him, because everywhere they went, they would demonstrate his rule and his kingdom, and instead, everywhere they go becomes death and destruction, and they're dead in their trespasses, and the stench of their rotting flesh hits his nostrils every day. And God himself did not don a hazmat suit to come down. God himself didn't just dip his toe in. God himself didn't just wash it all away, which he could have. Instead, despite that smell, he took on flesh for us. He grew up in the midst of it. He grew up with all the junk around him, never sinning. He saw every day the affront to his holiness. Every day he saw the condemnation of man against him and what they would say and how they would act and how they would treat each other and how they would treat his creation. And you can see it everywhere you go. And we become so numb to it that it's like we forget that it's there. But when you actually open your nostrils and smell it again, it smells so bad. And God himself walked in that stench for us, though he had no sin, because he wanted to redeem a people from the cause of it. And the cause, the malignant grossness of that was sin itself. And God had said, if you sin, you will surely die. And so Jesus came to die for us. Why would he do that? Jesus himself said that love has no greater thing than this, than a man who would lay down his life for a friend. And we were God's enemies. And yet he came to die for us. He's so faithful. He's so good. And now John is telling us, if you claim to be in the light with him, but you walk still in the stench, if you think that you can come to church and just wash it off and it's going to be okay, and then you can live however you want the rest of the, the week, and then you walk back in and get another shower and you're fine, and God will forgive me because it doesn't matter. It matters. It matters so much that his own blood was shed. And we take it lightly. And so our whole culture now is embracing the darkness. darkness. I would say like never before, but really we've been here before. Yeah. Embracing the darkness and loving it more than God and trying desperately to pretend like there's no stench. And we Christians walk in it. If you are walking in the darkness, but you claim to be in the light, you're deceiving yourself. If you're giving yourself to sin every day saying, ah, God will forgive me, it's fine and you're not resisting at all, you're deceiving yourself. Because the very spirit of Christ, the spirit of self-control that is his, he put inside of us by his Holy Spirit that we would be his and walk in him in the light. And then what does he tell us to do? In verse 9, he says, if you confess your sins. Notice he's been talking. What's the basis of our fellowship? It's the proclamation of the good news. Now he says, if anyone says... They're in the light, but they walk in the darkness. They have no part in it. But what's the answer? Again, it's a proclamation. If you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just and will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How is he faithful? He's faithful because he promised he would do it. He's faithful because he said, even in Genesis 3.15 from the very beginning, I will send one, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. God had a way for us to have life with him. And there's only one, and his name is Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his plan. Jesus was so faithful that he went to the cross for us. Faithful. But he's also just. He didn't just say, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's fine. No big deal. It's going to be okay. He didn't just do that. Jesus died for us. His blood was really shed for us. And there are many people in the world that want to take that blood, that precious blood of the only Son of God, and pretend like it doesn't matter, or never happened, or doesn't exist. But here's John who touched him, who saw him. John was there when Jesus, breathing his last, said, Behold your mother. This is a guy who was so close to Jesus that he was the one who was 
had bestowed upon him the responsibility of taking care of Jesus' mother Mary. Took her into his home until the very last day of her life. This is not something casual. This is real life. And we tend to want to take these things and just make them religious thoughts instead of real things that God really cares about. You see, God hates sin. He hates sin so much that it required the death of his own son to cleanse us of it. That's a big deal. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we pretend like everything's great all the time, have you ever known? I love asking people, how you doing? When we got down to Isla Morado, which is the area we stayed in on the Keys, we got to the first restaurant and it was like a little dock restaurant. It was great. And Miami had been a lot. And so uh, if you've never been to Miami, it's like all about the nightlife. So everything's very loud and very... That's what I mean by intense. Got down to the Keys, and the waiter guy came over. He said, hey, I'm Eric. You know, how you doing? Can I take your order? And I said, oh, hey, Eric, how are you? And he goes, oh, so laid back. And I was like, this is, is going to be fun. <laughs> you know, this is the attitude, though. This is the attitude. A lot of Christians have now with sin. Oh, the Lord saved me. I'm good. I'm fine. And I ask people all the time, how are you? Oh, good. Yeah, busy. Uh, busy, stressful at work, but good. Everybody's good. Everything's fine. And they're dying inside. And 10 minutes later, you figure out everything is wrong. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We are not perfect. He is. We are not perfect. We can't pretend to be perfect. Church is not self-help. We come here to see Jesus. To see him. To bow before him. To give him everything we have. And in a little while, we're going to come to the communion meal. And we're going to eat that meal knowing, Lord, you broke your body for me. And I'm broken before you because I know I am not perfect. And if we come to him in this pretense of, everything's fine, Lord, I'm good. It's great. No problem. Everything's good. I prayed to you for 10 minutes, so I'm good. Everything's good. Check that box. Good. And that's how we want to live sometimes. But the reality is we've got to remember he's our source. He's our life. He's our everything. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Don't you want the Lord's word in you? We're going to watch a video now. Enjoy this little music video. It's a catchy song. And then we'll talk about it.
You need to just not step on our gowns. You need to calm down. Hey, catchy song. Really is. That's Taylor Swift. Why did we watch that in church? If you're upset that we watched that in church, forgive me. Here's why we watched it. Over 260 million views. Did you notice all the stars that are in there? Yeah. Start recognizing people. What's the message of this video? Partly gay is here to stay. Yeah, it's a, it's a pride video. Acceptance, yeah. Let me ask you something. Are you a Christian? How are you portrayed in that video? Hillbilly. Literally like hillbilly. Hateful. Angry. That sign take you all night? Judging? I'm going to tell you right now from the Bible, homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin against God. We need to repent of it. And the Lord is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's a hard road sometimes to walk away from other ways of life. But I'm telling you, there is power in the gospel to change us. There is power. And all sins, lying, hating our parents, disobedience to our parents, that's a sin. How many of us can say, oh, I'm, I'm clean, I've never had sin. Never disobeyed my parents, ever in my whole life. Sin. False witness against our neighbor. Coveting. Sin. We need to come for God for salvation from all these things. But this video puts one in the forefront because it is trying to make the statement that everybody, particularly Christians, and particularly on this issue, need to just calm down. What was the salvation of the Christians in the end? Did you notice? Threw down their signs. God said, oh, Adam and Eve only, man and woman. And, put, and the one guy was holding a sign that said, homosexuality is sin. And he looks at the other guy, he's like, well, this is dumb, throws it down. I'm telling you this, Christians, we are at war. And you hear it on the radio, and don't think much of it. And I'm telling you, if you stand up and say what the Bible says, and you say Jesus Christ is Lord and you need to submit to him and bow your knee to him, if you say Jesus Christ is Lord and he has a standard for you, and that standard means that you need to have repentance of all sin, he will empower you to follow him because without him you're dead in your trespasses. If you say that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, people are going to laugh at you. If you say that Jesus Christ is sitting on, sitting on the throne right now, ruling and reigning all things, they're going to question you. And if you challenge their lifestyle, they're going to hate you. But he is worth it. Yes. He is worth it. Yes. And we're in a time now where we cannot walk in the darkness and pretend that we are actually living in the light. If there's sin in our own lives, we have got to come before him because he is faithful and just. And if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we also, like John here, can't stop proclaiming. Now, should we make signs and yell at people while they're trying to sunbathe? That's not a great way to do it. It's not a great way. Here's a better way. Befriend people. Tell them the truth. Live your life shining for the gospel. Yes. That everything you do, you look like him. And then be ready to tell people your testimony of what Christ has done and what they need to do. And this is where it gets hard because it's often easy to say, oh, God did this for me. Okay. Instead, we have to say, and now I want to tell you, you need to repent because he is righteous. And he is the judge of the earth. And the stench you're living in, please bow the knee to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me, and he will cleanse you. And I will walk with you, and I'll teach you everything I know about the Bible. And then when I hit my limit, I'm going to introduce you to David, and he can teach you way more than me. Because we have fellowship together in the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what discipleship means. And there's a time to say things out loud. Often not on Facebook. Where does it go? Where does it go? Nowhere. And this is what this song is about. And then the reputation of people is just casting shade or whatever they like to call it now. Throwing shade, whatever that phrase means, of just yelling bad things of hate. When the reality is we have a message that's so much better. It's so much better, but it is against the lifestyle of you do whatever you want. If you identify as a hamburger and you're just looking for some french fries, there's a better way. There's a better way. Know Jesus. If you would just submit to him, you will find out that you're an image bearer. And you're so much better than a hamburger. Please, I'm begging you. If you would just know him, if you would just meet Jesus, your whole life would change. 
And I know that he's ruling and reigning, and so he's so big that I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. And the ones that he moves on, I will disciple to the end of the day until I can't breathe anymore. And the ones that he doesn't, then I'll continue telling people about Jesus because he's in charge. This is what we do. Only God can change people's hearts. How can God take somebody who used to be a centurion slave owner and now slaves who are freed in the church and bring them together? How can God take people who used to identify as hamburgers, people who used to be murderers, people who used to lie so easy, people whose whole life was lived for themselves, and now suddenly the selfishness has gone away and the selflessness of Christ has come out of them. And real love starts to exude from people. How can that happen? It only happens by him. Not by great arguments, but by his power. And you know what means he uses for that power? Your proclamation. In Revelation, it tells us that the witnesses have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. God uses the power of our testimony, the proclamation of Jesus Christ to do his work of salvation. And then all that work he does is miraculous. But what will happen if we keep our mouths shut? It won't be good. Here's what chapter 2 says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If you are sinning, this is me, Pastor Stephen, talking now. Stop sinning. How do you do that? Lord, forgive me. Help me. Strengthen me. I need you. Confess your sin to somebody else you trust. Call somebody and say, I I need your help. If you're a man, call a man. If you're a woman, call a woman. Because that relationship gets weird if you're trying to have that outside of it. Call Steve. Steve, I'm struggling. I need you. Can you help me? Can I call you? Can I talk to you? It's 3 a.m. Is that okay? Steve will answer the phone. Praise the Lord, right? We all will. Jackie Burke, did I ask you to tell people that you'd pray for them? Did I ask you to testify today? She'll pray for you guys. Coming straight from her, not from me. Praise the Lord. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. That means he's the payment that was paid for us that we might have life. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That doesn't mean the whole world, like, everybody just automatically gets saved. Because he just said, I'm writing that you won't sin. He's saying it's available to everybody. It's not just Jews, not Gentiles. It doesn't matter if you're from Ephesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan. And by this, verse 3, we know, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is what I mean by shine bright in the world. Keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Wow, that's you. Praise God. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same way in which he walked. If your life is a reflection of Jesus... If you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, I want to serve you today. If your way that you run your family, you want to be like Jesus to your kids, you want to be like Jesus to your spouse. If you go into work and you say, Lord, I want this workplace to look like your kingdom, I'm telling you that you are in him. If you wake up every day and everything's about you, and you say, Lord, give me what I want today. Are you walking in the light? And the answer is, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I walked in the darkness. I used you like a genie. Forgive me. I want to know you. And I'm telling you, his salvation is so good, isn't it? So good. Walk in him. How do you test yourself? Do you keep his commandments? This is not a legalism, by the way. It's a being a new person. It's changed from the inside out because of what he's done and indwelled us by his Holy Spirit. How good is he? That he doesn't just say, do this task you can never complete by yourself. But instead, he empowers us by his own spirit. You know, the word who became flesh, that same word, he's in us by his spirit. How great is that? That's good news. That is good news. Uh, When I was in Iraq, I was a soldier in Iraq. And when I was in Iraq, I, uh, I had a couple different missions. And one of the missions that I had took me to a new platoon that I took over. And we were in a really bad part of town. 
And so in this area that we lived in and worked in, uh, our mission was to train the Iraqi police. And so I had three police stations that I was in charge of helping them, the Baghdad Police Department. And so uh, we'd do patrols with them and do all this stuff. And so one day we went out, and um, this was my second day with these guys, and we went out on the mission, and there was a murder victim that we found. And so the murder victim had been there for a while, and it was, it was gross. It was bad. I'll spare you all the details. Um, so this is my first encounter of many, unfortunately, with a, a body and a murder scene situation. So being police, I did this a lot, unfortunately. It was not good. Never went well. And so here I am. Here it is. Here's all this stuff. Here's what we got to do. We got the stuff done. We're back at the base. And I'm sitting in my office writing my report, and all of a sudden the door bursts open. And one of my squad leaders who worked for me, comes, a sergeant, comes running in and grabs me and throws me on the ground. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I had five or six guys on me, and I'm being lifted up. And I was carried into another room, and my shirt was torn open, and then everybody in the platoon starts rubbing my chest. And that was the initiation for the first time you see a body. First time you're involved in killing, this is, this is what you do. And so everybody did it. Everybody had to do it. This is how it worked. And so you fought. I fought hard for about 32 seconds, but six guys on one, I mean, I was, I was overwhelmed in, I say 30 seconds, in one second, I was completely overwhelmed. And man, my chest was on fire because it was rubbing, you know. Um, here's why I tell you that. After a while, especially after that, you learn how to take emotions of things that are really bad and transfer them into physical things. So if you get afraid or you're angry or um, we lost a soldier or, you know, whatever it was. You take that and you turn it into rage. So instead of fear, it's just rage. I remember one time I had a soldier get hurt and we were attacked and they uh, threw some fireball stuff at her and she got burned really bad and I wanted to burn down the town. I, was, I took that rage and I, man, I was, I was, quote, on the warpath, really in war. And I was ready to... I was ready to hurt people. And it's funny because then I came home, and now I'm back in regular life. And I saw a power walker in Walmart, and he was so out of place that I wanted to punch that guy so bad. And I'm not joking. Like, that sounds funny, right? I'm the pastor. I, I was going to hurt that guy. Because you don't, what shorts are you wearing? What are you, it's Walmart. God help us. This is wrong. I will destroy you. And the rage comes, because any awkward situation now becomes life or death. And so awkward situation in Iraq is there's weird trash on the side of the road. We're probably getting attacked. It's about to explode. Back home in Walmart, dude's just, I mean, hips are moving. Little tiny shorts, big sock. He was Walkman, like one of those, like with the tape, old guy having a great time. And I wanted to hurt him bad. And that's terrible. But I'm telling you that because that's what sin does to you. And all of us have become so immune to it. That the little lies, it's not a big deal. And the stench that rises up to God's nostrils is overwhelming from our sin. And we become so used to the junk that you walk around and see how people abuse other people and use them and hurt them. And you see how people disrespect their authorities and things that God said, this is important. God said, we're supposed to rest. How many people do you know who rest? And the stench of their perspiration comes up, the body odor to God. And he says, I told you to rest. And meanwhile, we just think we're doing great. We don't need to rest. I don't need you, God. I'll do it myself. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Does that bring up anything in you? I'll tell you, for me, it doesn't sometimes because I'm so used to it. It doesn't matter. I can't smell the stench anymore. It's time to open our nostrils. It's time to remember what God is doing because our world is using new platforms now that have never been around, that millions, hundreds of millions of people are seeing what they think. Oh, that looks compelling. Stars, everybody's in there. Everybody seems unified in this proclamation. This has got to be, I don't want to be the hillbilly. I want to be having fun. I mean, her trailer lit on fire. She didn't care. That's amazing. That's great. I want to do that. I'd love to sit in a pool all day. This looks like, man, a food fight? How fun is that? And John reminds us, I was there. I touched him. I, I was there. I heard every word. He really died for us. 
If you say you're walking in the light, but then you just live in the darkness, you have no part in him. We know that we are his if we keep his word. We know that we're his if we do what he says. Don't get so immune to sin that you stop smelling it. In our own lives, and I'm going to pray in a minute as we come to the table, that the Lord would open up our senses again. That he would reveal to us our own sin. So don't take communion if you don't want it. Because he will do it. If you don't know him, don't take communion. Because you will eat and drink judgment on yourself because he really died for us. And we're remembering his body broken and his blood shed. And we're coming to him saying, Lord, I have no salvation but you. Lord, I don't want to be numb anymore to the sin that surrounds me. I want to be a proclaimer of your life. Lord, you said through John that he touched and has the proclamation of all this knowledge regarding the word of life. You, Jesus, but you have also indwelled me by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to be a proclaimer of that same word of life. I want to tell everyone I know about you. I want to see lives changed. I want to see you break in with grace and mercy and life on people. And not like that video, but instead the revival of really knowing God. How amazing. If Taylor Swift could only experience it, she would write about nothing else. She really would. Because it's so good. Taste and see that he's good.